0: Well, to me, this treaty sounds like a, a military industrial complex treaty because, because outside of nation states, the military industrial complex doesn't necessarily play that game.
1: We don't know what discoveries could be found in Antarctica. And, and it's like the Wild West down there.
0: Anything could be found. Any claims could be made. In the data, what we see is we get this like kind of like a plasma arc that moves through the Earth. So where did this three miles of ice sheet, fresh water ice sheet come from? Fighting Nazi UFOs with nuclear weapons in the late 1950s, early 60s around South Africa. Sounds mm. like a great story. <laughs> That's a new one. I
1: love that we can bring stuff up on this show. And then your reaction is, I'm going to find out about this for next week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back to the metaphysical podcast in the last episode we started talking about the frozen wasteland of antarctica or is it we've all heard crazy rumors of more technology secret research operations bases and even ufos hiding in the barren continent but what's the truth is there a reason that Antarctica is almost completely off limits to the civilians of the world and why countries in competition with each other have all peacefully agreed magically to a sacred Antarctic treaty sharing the land? Well, we're going to talk about the data, rumors, and more today. So join remote viewer John Vivanco and investigative researcher
0: Rob Counts for a show. That's out of this world. And if you're listening to us, uh, the metaphysical podcast, or you're watching us on a video platform, go ahead and just leave us a five-star review. Truly appreciate it. It's going to help us reach more people, spread like a virus. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're watching us.
1: I like to think of the metaphysical podcast spreading spreading like a virus. Like a virus. Those were, yeah. those were good, good, good imagery right there.
0: Good imagery. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Last
1: episode, you guys, we we discussed a lot of general data on Antarctica and even um, kind of general whistleblower claims and uh, rumors that have, I think, really captivated people around the world for years now. And in this episode, we're, we're going to get into the nitty gritty a little bit more about really why Antarctica is off limits to most civilians. What are these reasons? Um, and why Antarctica flash froze, which seems to be the case. Uh, We'll also be getting into weapons of mass destruction, uh, near the, uh, near Antarctica and this Antarctic treaty. So also what does it take to go down into Antarctica, which John asked in the last episode. So why don't we start
0: there? I think uh, just because. All right, so I'm, I'm launching my boat from the Strait of M- Magellan and I've got a snowmobile on it. I've got a tent, I've got a propane heater and I'm gonna just land in Antarctica. What's gonna happen? How do I how do, I do that? Do I need my passport? First of all, I don't think this is like a trip into uh, the countryside,
1: but uh, so, it's a lot more complicated than that, it seems. Every trip, every single trip has to be reported to the Department of State, who mm-hmm. then, yeah, then they inform, you know, this is tour group info, mind you. Okay, so for everybody listening to this, this is information that we, we scraped from basically the sites that are promoting these trips down here, right? So you report the trip to the Department of State who then informs every other country in the Antarctic treaty about your trip. What other tourism industry really works that way? I mean, think about it, no one that's like, that's really very strange. Like if you're going to Italy, that's not going to happen. Okay. So if you go to Antarctica with a tour group, you'd really better stay with the group because according to one travel agency, don't expect to get rescued with the limited amount of resources and personnel. They say, they say that saving just one person who strayed from the tour group is more trouble than it's worth. Is that a threat or a promise? All right. So the other thing is you also cannot take anything from Antarctica. One travel agency says, and I quote, if you happen to find anything of scientific interest, a fossil, for example, Note the location, take a picture, and then leave it there. A scientist can get much more out of that fossil than you can. So you're admitting that there are fossils down there.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you you would definitely find those on the coast where you've got tundra for sure. Sure, on the coast, but what else? Yeah, but, you know, I mean, unless you fell in an ice hole somewhere inland, you're not going to see much. Or fell into
1: a hidden cave. Yeah. Started hanging out with Lemurians or Waggas or something.
0: Right. <laughs> I'm you know, I I'm guessing Mount Vincent, you know, where people can go to uh hiking. I'm I'm guessing, you know, you can find stuff there, fossils.
1: There are birds that go down there in the summertime, aren't there? I mean, I would imagine
0: there are. Yeah, along the coast for sure. Yeah, along the coast.
1: How Summer. close do you know, John? How close is the Strait of Magellan to Antarctica?
0: Is it? It's close? Not, I, I don't know the mileage. I don't know the kilometers. Um, but it is not that far. Uh, not that far. There are some excursions down there from that area, from from uh, the uh, Patagonia, uh, where you can hit some of the islands. Um, off right off Antarctica, but I don't know if they will take you straight to Antarctica unless you're part of that sanctioned tour mm. that you were speaking about. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. I've been hiking down through the area through uh, Patagonia way down at the end there, and it's it's pretty insane because you're talking about yeah yeah. I've been trekking through that area in the past, um, and you know you're confronted with. You know even midsummer just ice and ice and tundra it's like really unforgiving environment so, yeah. you
1: really yeah you, you forget like when you think of south america i mean south america is massive it's long right but you always think of these tropical like canopy trees and stuff like that jungle right.
0: whatever yeah
1: you get down right. there and you're in you're in like canada the opposite Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. You're you're I mean, there are no there's no very little vegetation, no trees, nothing down there. Just tundra. Just well, we didn't cover
1: this in the last episode, but Antarctica is known to be desert, very desert like there isn't hardly there's hardly any rain at all. And yet it's it, it is a gigantic, massive freshwater, you know, frozen well, almost, you know it's not really that straightforward to go down there. I mean, I don't think just, uh, you're not going to successfully jump on a boat and head down to Antarctica on your own. There's going to be people that find you. You're better off going with one of these and it kind yeah, of brings you know, it
0: is, it's just kind of foolish as well. As it guess. is, yeah. <laughs> I and mean, so you are talking about the temperatures, we were talking about the temperatures in the last episode. It's It's just, no, it's just not gonna happen.
1: I actually would love to do this. This guy is doing a cold plunge in South and in Antarctic waters. And I think that'd be good for you.
0: Yeah. The old Wim Hof thing. Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, I was watching this really interesting video. Um, You know, there'll be sometimes these clips of old doctors talking on television and somebody interviewing them. And this guy was saying that, he was eating for the first time. The The interviewer said, oh, well, you know, what, is this your first meal of the day? And it was dinner time, you know, guy's like, yeah, I, I didn't eat breakfast or, or lunch. And he was like, well, why didn't you do that? And he was like, well, he's like, think about it. At every stage of history, people have stayed young by challenging their bodies, not kind of over processing all the time. Right. And he's like, if you if you now this isn't me saying this, this is the the video that I watched, but he was basically alluding to making your body have to work more is much healthier for it than constantly giving it what it what it requires all the time which which seems antithetical to that whole thing but it was a very interesting philosophy especially the way that he was describing it so he what he was and and you know there is some evidence of that and um some of this like intermittent fasting is like really good for you you know it helps you burn fat like all of this different stuff um but yeah cold plunges are one of these things like Plunging your body into cold water is supposed to have extreme health benefits. It's supposed to help raise men's testosterone. There's all of these other studies along with this. And then you've got Wim Hof, who, you know, has his own research and everything uh, with with cold plunges and breathing and all of this stuff. So an Antarctica excursion
0: is not out of the question. It's not. I think we should maybe
1: go for that at some point. Fund
0: the expedition. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Have you ever done a cold plunge like this in the ice?
0: No, I haven't done that. No, mm. not not fond of that. But you know, like Wim Hof, his uh, a lot of his stuff, the breathing techniques come from um, like Tumo, Tibetan, a Tibetan practice. Um, he just kind of formed it into his own thing for his own purposes. But this is like ancient, ancient stuff, you know, where where uh, ancient uh, meditators had that secret knowledge and they would use it for their benefit, whether it's to keep themselves warm in the snow or cool themselves down or just general, general healing. And I gotta say, I mean, you know, Wim Hof, Tumo, Kundalini, you know, breath of fire, even though a lot of people feel it can be dangerous for you in in raising your kundalini type energy through your body too fast and to cause damage, I've always found it to be really beneficial. Mm. I mean, a lot of people will say that. Actually, they just will. What you just yeah. Said. yeah, I just wanted to, you know, make that disclaimer.
1: Sure, own, of course.
0: And do it at your own risk if you're going to do it.
1: But I think this, um, this discussion about e- oxygen, even with Wim Wim Hof, is like is really interesting uh, to bring up when we're talking about Antarctica, because when we start when we start discussing Antarctica and the its unavailability to most civilians, right we're really kind of talking about here is a barren Iceland with solid evidence of the conditions on planet Earth millions of years ago, which would give scientists or countries a lot of data on what the planet actually was like in the past, how much oxygen actually was available on the planet or you know what the pressures were like. And then you start getting into, I'd be thinking about this a lot recently, but like, what would extra oxygen do? Like how, how would extra oxygen and pressures actually help? And then you get into the discussion of hyperbaric chambers, you know, Wim Hof, what he's doing in a way is of course it's extra oxygen, um, not necessarily extra pressures, but the extra oxygen has, can go a long way in helping your body recover where, and, in the past with some of these theories about the extra oxygen, this is why um, dinosaurs, their nostril size was so small, is they didn't need to work as hard to breathe in more oxygen to get what they needed for their bodies. And everything back in this time allegedly grew much greater in size. Um, the beasts were larger. The people lived longer. So then, then now you're getting into- giants.
0: Up. Giant people. Giants, yeah. giants people. It makes me wonder if the, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure people have speculated on this quite a bit. If the gravity was different somehow, some way, I have well, no idea. If yeah, I mean, we don't know. If that's a thing. Yeah,
1: we, we don't necessarily know. But the oxygen itself, if there was that much oxygen, may have a different impact on how your body handles the oxygen. We right. don't. And what I mean by that, I'm sorry, handles the gravity, rather. So how your body handles the the gravity because if your body is growing stronger and better then you know maybe the gravity isn't having as much of a pull on your body in the same way right these hyperbaric chambers if you put for instance a plant in a hyperbaric chamber the plant like a tomato plant will grow five times more tomatoes and it will grow much bigger, almost into a tree, like that kind of a, that kind of a, a difference. And whereas if it's just in a normal environment, it's going to grow and appear more like a normal tomato vine. Right. So, you know, this is not me saying this guys, the, you can easily find these experiments yourself out there just by going and looking and researching hyperbaric chambers. But it's like that. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because this information that's so interesting that we're talking about is contained within the ice of antarctica which would to me really explain why largely this continent is off limits to most people we we don't know what discoveries could be found in antarctica and and it's like the wild west down there anything could be found any claims could be made as much as that's disappointing, I can also see the, why certain agendas would, would want to keep us from finding these things.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the whole continent, more or less, is classified, really. Um, and I mean, that's what we've seen with our data, is that it's, it literally has to do with... I mean, on the surface level, you've got... Look, it's really dangerous... Um, to just go there. It's really dangerous. So that is going to be one of the number one things. You just don't want people to show up on the shore with boats. You know, a lot of people are going to die in that. Uh, and even scenario. if you're
1: equipped, even if you're equipped,
0: something could even if wrong. you're equipped. I mean, when you when you look at when you listen to um, Eric Hecker, when you listen, to, if you listen to this guy, Eric Hecker. In his disclosure in the disclosure conference, and you can find it on YouTube, he will tell you how dangerous it is there, absolutely dangerous, even for total preparation. One thing's good; one thing goes wrong, and you're you're done. That's it. So, I mean, you know, there's that surface reason, um, but with the data on this, it's it's literally what you're talking about, but not knowing what is under there but having a a simple understanding of what's there and keeping it from the public but all this began back in the 1950s after Mm -hmm. operation high jump all of that began after that because that's when they discovered some very strange things that's when it became classified at that point so okay so we're at the
1: point where this treaty is now we're in in our discussion because you're talking about what happened after operation high jump so right. at, the, at the end of that and about 19 was it 1958 1959 i think the antarctic treaty is signed by a bunch of different countries right and the antarctic treaty is an anomaly among treaties in 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 a way because to have to have a bunch of countries all agreeing on something is not very normal. <laughs> and, they're, and they seem to be doing it in the name of, of, of science here. So, Lindsay, you can pull up this Antarctic Treaty um, website, where it kind of goes over this, right? So here it is. The Antarctic Treaty was signed in Washington on 1st of December, 1959, by the 12 countries whose scientists had been active in and around Antarctica during the international geophysical year of 1957 and 1958. Okay, now, there are a few important points to the treaty that I think, they're most relevant to to the discussion. And, And it is on this website as well. It says the Antarctica shall be used for peaceful purposes only. This is what everyone's agreed to, these 12 countries. Freedom of scientific investigation in Antarctica and cooperation toward that end shall continue. Scientific observations and results from, from Antarctica shall be exchanged and made freely available, which I do not believe at all. Now, among the signatories of the treaty were seven countries, Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway, and the United Kingdom with territorial claims sometimes overlapping. Other countries do not recognize any claims. So like the US and Russia, for instance, maintain a basis of claim. All positions are explicitly protected in Article uh, 4 here. Yeah, and these this is a map of where the claims and for who these claims belong. And you can see... Um, let's see here. Where is... I don't see the United States on there. No,
0: United States is not in there because I think that's the part of the Antarctic uh, Antarctic Treaty, and I don't think the U.S. is necessarily involved with that. Are they?
1: Yeah, no. The U- I think the U.S. has signed this as well. Oh, okay, they would have had to. Like they're probably the ones that created the treaty.
0: Well, to me, this treaty sounds like a, a military-industrial complex treaty because because outside of nation states. The military industrial complex doesn't necessarily play that game. They're on a layer below all of that and they don't necessarily care about the nation state thing. So to me, this sounds like a military industrial complex situation creation, which is interesting. Did you remember back in 1987, Ronald Reagan, who was the president of the United States then, went before the UN and said something like, um, what if the world was threatened by an alien force, something from space? And we would become one in that? I mean, he went and we should do that now. Like we should become one now all our differences will go away.
1: In our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples, than war and the threat of war.
0: If, if an alien force came at us, we yes. would have to become one. All of our differences would fade. Is it, this what's happening in Antarctica? Yeah. Is this what the treaty's about?
1: Yeah, it would be us versus them. The collective us versus them. Yeah. And, it, and yes, it, indeed, United Kingdom, the United States and USSR have all signed the, the part of the 12 nations. And it was signed on December 1st, 1959. You know, an agreement between it makes sense at the time, especially in 1959. Even though all of this stuff was going down with Russia. There's a lot going down between Russia and the United States back then. Right. Think about it. For them to both sign this treaty. It's kind of strange, but I think a lot of people aren't aware of the joint scientific research that the U.S. and the USSR had been doing, even with the Cold War going on. There was a lot, a lot more than you'd think. I think the two biggest powers or the, the, you know, some of the biggest powers in scientific research back then would have definitely been the U.S., the USSR, and the U.K., So they're all on the treaty. They're all potentially down here screwing around on the continent of Antarctica, finding who knows what, doing who knows what. And, you know, we will get into, hey, was there anything going on down there during the Operation High Jump
0: episode, I think?
1: Oh, so was Antarctica flash frozen?
0: Oh, right. Well, I, I don't know about that any theory on that is just a theory I mean backed by probably a little scientific data but you know geology deep past in geology and geology and and the way the earth works is is really just theories we looked at how the mammoth were fra- flash frozen in uh, Siberia it's like we looked at that with remote viewing mm-hmm. and if there are mammoth there that were flash frozen I don't know I've never heard of that um, it would be the same thing so in in the data on that it's a little bit hard to figure out but what i can kind of glean from the data on the flash freezing is that there's a there's a period of cataclysm occurring on the earth and and there is um a situation where you have um earth's magnetic field moving okay like the poles are moving it's like a pole shift type of situation potentially an unlocking of the crust from the mantle so that it moves it can move around and as well as intense electromagnetic discharges occurring because of something happening in space whether that's a, another body moving by the earth this gets into the whole like electrical universe theory where the universe is electrical these are Planets are electrical bodies, in a sense, that aspect, and they can interact with each other, their magnetic fields, And so in the data, what we see is we get this like, kind of like a plasma arc that moves through the Earth. It goes from one side to the other. It's like the Earth changes, and the Earth changes poles. And in that pole, a pole shift, energetic burst, almost shift, energetic. But it's a, a little bit more than that because our pole makes these excursions and it's doing it right now. Um, we don't really know. I mean, sometimes we could probably have shifts really quick that go back and forth that don't do anything. Sometimes they could be very cataclysmic. And, and so what we see is that when we have a very extreme event occur, the atmosphere collapses. So we, we live in the troposphere. And the troposphere is where our weather occurs for the most part. The clouds come in. It's the air we breathe. Above that's the stratosphere, and that's very cold. It's where you find the cirrus clouds, ice crystals. And what we see is that there's a there is is a collapsing of that onto the surface as the magnetic field fluctuates, as well as this what looks like a, a arc of electricity in certain areas, plasma arc, because we're getting like, like into the whole electrical universe theory. And, and something happening to, to the earth in that process. And I'm not sure what causes that what caused it. Um, but literally, that's what we see a collapsing of the atmosphere, as well as this electrical discharge, that could be sort of a cold plasma. And I think that um, Ben Davidson, has, has, he's the only one, Ben Davidson, who does suspicious observers, you can look at him up on YouTube. He's the only one that I've seen kind of begin to explain what our data describes on what could potentially happen theoretically when we have that sort of a pole shift. And he specifically talks about this idea that uh, there's, there's a, a sucking in of cold plasma into certain locations, as well as the atmosphere collapsing, and that's like literally the direction that our data goes. Mm. Um, so, so if there is any frozen mammoths there in Antarctica, flash frozen, that's likely the explanation for it. Something along that line. Um, and you know, I know they did experiments too on the ones in Siberia. Like they they brought in like refrigeration experts to try to understand. So how did these things get so cold so fast? Because you're talking about a massive creature with fl- a lot of flesh. Flash freezing is like. Right. And, and literally, it's got undigested food in its stomach and its mouth. That, that would have to freeze so fast. And they, they, they couldn't figure out how that happened conventionally at all. Um, it's
1: like liquid nitrogen fast.
0: Right, right. It's so fast. They even came up with the concept, the idea of, well, what if the atmosphere went away and space, the, you know, just space, the coldness of space came in, came in, and, and they, right. they, they couldn't even, they couldn't even come to the conclusion that that could do it. So this other idea about cold plasma in that is, that is being created or, or, or a reaction is occurring through a pole shift and something interfering with our magnetic field that could create a cold plasma seems to be more on the side of what we see in the data like i say it's it's hard to figure out with remote viewing because these are concepts that not a lot of people um talk about nor we know a lot about it at all virtually nothing well and i i think when you know that was a
1: very interesting theory but then when you start again when you start really digesting the fact that there we're talking about an ice shelf that's almost 3 miles thick a mile to 3 miles thick like right. over antarctica how does that happen you know i understand that antarctica is a very cold place and it would maintain the 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 frozen water but how do you accumulate that much when there's no rain down there even Right. There's no there's no rain in it. It's not like it's accumulating every year, people.
0: You know, maybe at some point it was. Well, I mean, the water had to come from somewhere. Had to come from um, somewhere. It's not building up, right? It's not building up. It's just but it came from somewhere.
1: Have you heard right. of the you heard of the canopy theory?
0: No, I haven't. So
1: creationist theory, right? Where you're trying to understand how Noah's flood happened. And this theory was that there was an enormous amount of water um, above, I guess, contained in the atmosphere. And then at a certain point, this water just... And actually, the water itself was the explanation for the pressure and the extra oxygen. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point when it was deemed, I guess, in this theory, like when it was meant to happen, it just came down all at once, basically created Noah's flood. And now you have like the, the, the ocean levels rose very far. Now in that part, if we're talking about rainwater, it's very possible. And then in this part of Antarctica, that accumulated as just miles of fresh water, which is why there's that much fresh water, right? Like, could that be, could the canopy or Antarctica be evidence of the canopy theory? You know, a lot of people say, oh, the canopy theory is debunked. I'm fine with that, but I'm also I'm kind of more interested in having this discussion about what it could possibly be than I am about what scientists think is
0: debunked and what is right. Who knows? Right. Really, you know, right, right. I mean, I, I could be at any number of these things. I have no idea. I haven't looked into that. I mean. The previous stuff that we looked into with regard to the flash freezing is like, it's really difficult to figure out with remote viewing. And we could just get like little indications of what happened and then do research around it to see if any theories line up with it. And so even then it's like, who knows? Who knows? So the canopy theory could be something. Absolutely. Um, There's also the idea potentially that the crust unlocks from the mantle during these periods. So that's another idea where the crust unlocks from the mantle and it slides around on the earth, kind of sloshes a little bit. And, and, and it could be that Antarctica was, you know, up higher somewhere else. And as the crust moved, I mean, totally different weather patterns as well. And as the crust slid down to where it is, where Antarctica is now, it could have had a different, totally different weather pattern where it built up and accumulated um, over that catastrophic period. But that would be a ton, a ton, a ton of water because how much percent of the world's water is locked up in that? I mean, what would you say it was? It was yeah, like, it was like 70%. 70%? I mean, wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so much. I mean, think about it. Like when you really start thinking about that, it's... That itself, just even thinking about those figures doesn't add up. No,
0: it doesn't add up. That's like like that. I mean, it's such a simple thing. It's like, where did that ice come from? It's not accumulating, right? No, no. It's but like you it's think... snowing there all the time. It, well, no, I mean, it is, right? It Isn't it? Know. It's got to be. No, there is no, it's
1: desert-like conditions. There's hardly any rain every year. And Lindsay could probably bring up the amount of rain that falls on Antarctica per year. But we're talking about, we're talking about conditions that make no sense with what's actually there right now. right,
0: right, unless we're talking about millions and millions of years of buildup somehow.
1: okay, still even still, with the amount of rain that's falling there, according to what's going on right now, that's not we're we're talking about the harsh when it when it's extremely cold and harsh, you don't have rain, and the rain look, only two inches per
0: year. Wow, yeah. Wow, yeah,
1: driest place on earth, driest place on earth. So, so where did this three miles of ice sheet fresh water ice sheet come from? I don't understand why this question isn't being brought up more, you know. And it's only when you're researching this stuff and you start like actually thinking things through where you just can't get past certain things, like. A lot of people are like, well, are there UFOs down there? And I'm just like, why is this Where ice is shell ice? so big? Where
0: did the ice come from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's technology, but can we talk about this first? Because right. Right. it's really, really strange. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I I had not thought of that. I had not thought of that. That's a really good research point.
1: <laughs> it's just strange. And that that's why I like doing... Uh, You know, you you research the surface data on something and you're more you're likely to find even more bizarre things than the conspiracy theories or the rumors. Right. Look at the moon. The moon is another similar example of that. Just by just by researching surface data on the moon, you will be completely baffled, baffled at what is going on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even even prominent scientists are baffled.
1: Yeah, now I'll bring one thing up before we end this episode that I think is very bizarre and that I kind of want to get your opinion on. I think and it was in 1958, there were a couple of nukes that got put off just below South Africa or near South Africa, close to Antarctica, between South Africa and Antarctica. Now, it's claimed that these nukes were... Um, it was an experiment, some type of experiment. It was it would, they were put <laughs> off in the air.
0: Did South Africa government set them off?
1: No, this was the U.S. I believe U.S. Okay. Um. Now here it says from from 1960s to the 1990s, South Africa pursued research into the weapons of mass destruction, including nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons, under the apartheid government. Apartheid. apartheid thanks Apartheid. apartheid apartheid six nuclear weapons were assembled now i'm quite sure that i don't think these were these tested by south africa or were these tests by the americans i was under the impression from my research that these nukes that went off in the air were american nukes and it was the information was released three years later in 1961 that they had gone off so it wasn't even like it wasn't even really widely known or discussed that this had been done until. And now I don't even know what would that do in, to our atmosphere? Like you blow one where, of those the Is, this, is this
0: one of the tests that they were doing uh, in the ionosphere? Because, I I, because that I know that they did some tests where they were setting off nuclear weapons like really high up in the ionosphere. I think it was the ionosphere. To see what it would do, um, which probably would create some kind of zero point situation and just kind of light up the whole ionosphere. Uh, but that happened down there. Interesting. So what's the what's the conspiracy around this? Well, the, I think that this added to conspiracy theories
1: about uh, the uh, now when we're talking about the already, you know, circulating rumors about Nazis down there, Operation High Jump um and all of this stuff so lindsay is not seeing any information about the united states being involved in this just south africa's program however what i'm discussing could be a part of the rumor mill that's going around along with operation high jump and all of that stuff so it is it is relevant because people are constantly talking about what what really happened down in antarctica or what's going on down in antarctica especially with Operation High Jump. So the name of the program where they were they were experimenting with nukes was called Operation Argus. These bombs, I guess, were sh- shot into the air and blown up. And now, again, the reason why this is relevant is why do that type of experimentation unless you were really aiming at something, right? And then also, it's kind of a crappy move to do this even anywhere near a place that had a population like South Africa. Of course, you know, where on earth can you go to do these tests? I don't think there's any good place, you know? Yeah, why do the tests at all, really, is the question. So this has kind of led uh, speculation around these nuclear bombs that were secret, that they were doing secret experimentation on from 1958 to 1961, that they were actually aiming them at something. It wasn't for no reason. And and this has kind of pushed this theory forward that Nazis had advanced technology, that we're still fighting Nazis. I mean, look at all the books that came out in the 50s and the 60s. It was always fighting Nazis. And it was always like these sensational... Reworks of this type of thing in these different novels that had come out. Some people thinking that that there could be truth to it. Some people thinking, obviously, that it was complete science fiction.
0: Well, I'm <laughs> fighting Nazi UFOs with nuclear weapons in the late 1950s, early 60s around South Africa. Sounds mm. like a great story. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> I don't know. That's or what or aliens or whatever. I don't think I don't think that's going to do. I don't think nuclear weapons are going to do much against, um, you know, the alien force or I mean, even then, if the Nazis had actually developed UFOs or anti-gravity type things like we see the UAPs right now. I mean, I just don't think that nuclear weapons are going to necessarily have that much of an impact. Seeing as how those things can move. I'll tell you something
1: interesting that uh, that I heard last night. Um, We published an episode on Rise TV where Ben had interviewed. um, What was his name, Lindsay? Michael. Michael Schrat. Michael Schrat. After, you know, some of these whistleblowers like Grush and Heckler came out, he's he was showing. Oh, excuse me. He was showing a bunch of uh, of of data historical data on the different UAPs that they had found that have been thoroughly kind of vetted in, you know, in the 1940s and 50s and all of this stuff. Now, this particular uh, uh, UAP that's in the thumbnail uh, was brought up, and it was claimed to have been in the custody of the military for a very long time where they were trying to break into this thing. And no matter what they would do year over year, they could not get into this thing like lasers. You're talking about like lasers couldn't even break the metal that was on this thing allegedly. Right. Yeah. But he mentioned something interesting was that one of their methods of trying to get in was this extreme um, conditions where they would drop this into l- pure liquid nitrogen and then pull it up so that the metal became more sure. brittle and then try to break in. Right. Right. So my point is there, and they were using diamond tip drills. They were using lasers. None of them did anything. Diamonds are the hardest thing we have on the planet. Does that, all right. Now, if nitrogen worked, liquid nitrogen, if that did indeed work to get in, is it possible that extreme temperatures nuclear type temperatures we're talking about like as hot as the sun temperatures could have some type of effect on this technology and that's why they decided to use nukes also there are different mm, well I don't know enough about nuclear technology and I don't want um, everyone to come after me but there could be things with the nuclear technology that could have a potential effect on technology that's alien like this. And I'm just curious what your
0: thoughts are on that. Well, I mean, okay. So I honestly don't think that you're going to have much of an impact on, on these craft because I know like, you know, with, with, with that whistleblower that, that Ben interviewed, I don't think that those methods they used did much of anything to it. So I highly doubt it. I highly, highly doubt it. Um, it could i mean maybe the heat maybe the heat could but i don't know we've never looked into any of that but i just my intuition is saying yeah maybe not maybe not um you're talking about what you're talking about is a slow moving missile compared to the speed of those craft for one thing right and these craft can quickly move outside of it and you know we've even seen that You know the technology that came uh, that went into the montauk project was in part a technology that is used on these craft to slip outside of our dimension into a you know the upside down and then come back right and so there's that aspect as well whether it's nazis or aliens i have no idea um so I'm just I feel a little doubtful about it because I know I know that the the these scientists will do things just because they can. Hey, let's just see what happens if we, you know, ignite the upper atmosphere. Let's let's see if we can do something there because we can. So, but but then again, I mean that is kind of strange. It's like how many other times in history have they done that? Because like seriously setting off nuclear weapons in the ionosphere or stratosphere could create a zero point energy situation because there's a lot of energy in like the ionosphere for instance and if you could ignite that energy you could create a massive fireball that just eats up the ionosphere across the whole earth so that's a little bit dangerous (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would say that that's, that's pretty dangerous. Yes. So you've got to wonder that that literally that right there kind of actually makes me wonder if they were going after a threat because otherwise, oh, right. why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? But
1: also when we're thinking about the 1940s and the 1950s, you're, you're dealing with an enemy that you don't understand. You, right. can't underst- you have no way of understanding their technology. And you're like, well, let's throw our biggest thing at it. Let's throw our biggest weapon at it Let's see because, what happens yeah. yeah and and you know according to michael schraff too it, it, he made this point that our our military is rather um i i think you might have used the word brutal in it's like how it attempts or how it kind of interfaces with these problems it's like well we don't know anything about it so take it out So I don't think that like there isn't they wouldn't be like, well, let's try this. Let's try. Let's try negotiation. It would be like, let's end this threat right now because we don't know what it is. That would be the strategy. So I can see that decision being made to use a nuke up there if it was something that crazy. And this is why we're doing this entire series on Antarctica, because what is really going on down there and what has gone on i mean that alone operation argus with the nukes it's so it's so interesting and it and i think it it then makes sense why people would would see uh you know admiral bird's diary where these beings come up to him and tell him hey your people have to be really careful with these nukes that they're using, send a message back to everyone, and why it makes sense, because, because human beings really should be careful with these things, right? Now, I'm not claiming that Admiral Bird's diary was true. I'm simply stating why I think people believe it is because I think all of us in the back of our heads are thinking, hey human beings really probably shouldn't be dabbling with technologies that are this great, that are bigger than them. And that they're we've been,
0: I think, completely irresponsible with using in the first place. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to actually, it was something that, that I'm going to have a look into, try and see if, you know, what, what was it that they were doing? Was it a legit scientific experiment or was it something else?
1: I love that we can bring stuff up on this show, and then your reaction is, "I'm going to find out about this for next week." Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this show is great. Well, you guys, uh, we're out of time for this episode. Um, it was uh, really fun to talk about all of this stuff, actually, and and I think explore uh, what's what's going on in Antarctica uh, a little bit more and bring some more theories forward as to why Antarctica is the weird place that it is and what could potentially be there. In our next episode, we are going to be getting into uh, Operation High Jump and the details, what's been said and what really happened. And at the end of that episode, I think we're, it's pretty safe to say that we're going to be able to reveal to you guys what actually happened. Uh, We'll also be getting into Nazis, of course and all of the history down there which operation high jump was reportedly for so if you're excited about all of that stuff definitely hang in there i hope you guys are enjoying this series on antarctica so far and if you guys have any comments we really want to hear what you guys think we want to hear your theories we also want to hear what you guys want us to talk about in future episodes so don't be shy comment below and uh john thanks so much for being with us And I hope you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. See y'all next time.